It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome one and all to another big edition of reliving the war right here on the gray wolf entertainment network we do exactly what it says on the description we relive the monday night wars between wwf and wcw we've ticked off 1997 we started off with 1996 and now in a brand new year we go back to 1998 my name is nims is all joined as always by my co-host and tag team partner Simon Tackler. Simon, first off, Happy New Year. We've done all that, those greetings and whatnot. We're ready to hit the ground running with, uh, I guess you could sort of say, the birth of a new era in the WWF. Oh, yeah. It is a new year for the WWF. It's 1998. To a lot of people, this is kind of where the uh, uh, Attitude Era really gets going. I'm excited, and i got to say, Royal Rumble 98, this was a great way to start it. On a positive note, unlike... WCW ended 1997. Yeah, this is a great sort of palate cleanser here, isn't it, man? And you're you're dead set right, though, when you say that 98 sort of seemed to be the jump off year for a lot of people to sort of get into the Attitude Era, because Mm. I don't know about you, but like, so let's just get straight into it, because when I started off with the intro, the waves of nostalgia just literally hit like a huge boot to the face there, because the intro from everything from the intro package to the panning of the crowd and the signs, the little scratch logo in the corner, everything just reeked of just like, oh, yes, this is childhood flowing in waves, even to my personal favorite, the Tyson killed Tupac sign in the crowd. <laughs> yes, I wanted to talk about some of the amazing signs in the crowd. Like we we've picked out a few good ones over the past couple of years. This was full edgy attitude era. Tyson killed Tupac. We also had another one uh, in the intro shot behind the commentators. Vince, your tag team suck. And we've been making note of how the WWF one low point is their tag division. The smarks in the crowd know it, and they're bringing their signs now. So it's time for a change there too. But yeah, really cool. It was really, really awesome to sort of see. And uh, we, we we get straight into the pay-per-view. And interestingly enough, for what is arguably the hottest period in WWF history, uh, at least up to the point, we've got that generic pay-per-view set that they reused a couple of times during the Attitude Era. I I didn't mind it. Um, It has a gritty feel and kind of, you know, makes it feel edgy. But in terms of, like, I know WCW had some stripped back uh, entranceways. When the WWE did it, everything else looked big time in the arena for this show, though. The lighting was amazing. The stadium was huge. Mm. Everything looked top notch. But it kind of made sense at the end why they didn't have a full set, though. So we'll get to that later, I think. I think it might have been a safety issue. Yeah, 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 I 100% think you're all right there, uh, especially when we do get towards the end. But just to just to re-emphasize how much uh, legwork that set got, if I recall correctly, that's the same set that they used for WrestleMania 14, at least the entranceway, the big little circular thing, and King of the Ring too. Um, and there could be some other ones, but my memory sort of escapes me a little bit. But we start off, and you can tell this is the Attitude Era because it kicks off with an absolute bang with Goldust versus Vader. Well, sorry, the artist formerly known as Goldust, he's doing his brand new gimmick here. And already there's a different feel to the WWF matches compared to the 96 and 97 pay-per-views that we've been watching rather religiously. Yeah, I don't know what what it was about this pay-per-view, but it's interesting. I don't know if it's just nostalgia or, or sort of like, you know, in hindsight, we know this is the start of a new era. But even compared to the last couple of WWE pay-per-views that we've watched, uh, Survivor Series is its own weird thing with its own mm. weird big time vibe. But Degeneration X was kind of in a smaller arena, a little bit more low key, even though it had some fun stuff. This feels huge and different. 
and we've got different gold dust. That kind of is a good first person to send out to. It's like if you are new or you're just getting back into the WWE here, it's 1998. This isn't your same old 1996 mm. WWE. This isn't the gold dust you know. This is an even more offensive gold dust. <laughs> yeah, and... In comparison to, this isn't the same Vader that was sort of getting lukewarm kind of cheers in yeah. 1996. He was over as a mofo. <laughs> Vader, to be fair, he's one of the guys who, when we started this show, we weren't expecting it a lot of because we kind of just remembered, okay, he has a match with Sean in 96. It doesn't go to plan. And then he kind of just hangs around. He has had some solid matches and every now and then is in a great, you know, match, gets a really good ovation. And this was an example of it. His pop was huge. Face Vader. I don't remember being this over. I don't remember it either. Because I also remember, like, you know, him running around on Raw, like calling himself, oh, I'm just a big piece of you know what, and all that sort of stuff. Like, that's how you remember it. And and that match with Sean, it's like, oh, it all went sour there. <laughs> yeah. But um, interestingly, too, I noticed uh, that, so obviously JR's being a little bit more smarky with his commentary as well. Like he mentions that um that Goldust is the son of Dusty Rhodes, and this is his way to sort of step out of the shadows of his father. And it, it's it's weird. It's almost meta, but not meta in a kayfabe way. Well, Vince was up in the skybox with Mike Tyson and Shane McMahon. So I think JR thought, well, Vince isn't sitting next to me anymore. I can say whatever I want. And it was good, though. Um, you know, every now and then we've made fun of how much detail JR gives. But he is sort of, he's dialed it back, but he's found a great balance. You know, he tells us that Goldust is Dusty son. He tells us a bit of Vader's history about where he's mm. wrestled. And it makes it feel more real. I, I think, yeah, the, the JR and King are really hitting their stride as a duo now because Vince isn't coming back to commentary. Yeah, it, and you're right. They sort of, it's amazing how quickly they nail just, they click together yep. so well. Um, you know, look, it does sound like we've been incredibly complimentary about uh, the show so far, but going into this match, it's not, it's not really anything to write home about, to be quite honest, uh, at least I thought. But it's a very dominant showing from Vader. And, there's some pretty, there's a lot of power moods. Goldust even has a fair showing, but like it also starts off the chain of like this match, I think, went for just over five or six minutes, didn't it? Like we're in the era of short matches now. Yeah, it's not a long match. And even if it's not necessarily the best match, I think because they keep it short, it's kind of watchable because it, mm. it's just a brawl. They go out to the ring, Vader does some nice power moves. And in saying that, Goldust is always shockingly big like he's <laughs> almost as big as vader you always forget like he's a big guy um and also luna is with Goldust at this time and she's doing some cool character stuff on the outside even if it's not much of a match it's kind of fun to watch because it's energetic the ending though is fantastic so i had this pay-per-view on video so i've watched mm -hmm. it a hundred times so i was waiting for that ending because it's a vader bomb with Luna on Vader's back to Goldust, and the crowd goes mental for it when he hits it. Oh, you are not wrong. And to the point where, so I'm talking like she is bear hugging him from behind. Like, you know how like you would piggyback a, a small child. <laughs> Vader picks her up like 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 absolutely nothing. Yeah. Just, it's like she, she's a, he's got a basically a Luna Vachon backpack as he does the Vader bomb. Goldust sells it like death. Luna completely ragdolls after he does it. It's a dominant pin. The crowd loses their mind. So as you sort of said, it's short and sweet. Even the worst part of the Attitude Era, which I think, which is why we we tend to forget how quote unquote bad the matches were. It's because they were quick and over and done with quickly. Like yeah, they got their point done and they're done. It's almost that weird thing. We've discussed it on previous shows, but because we see the opposite of that now uh, in modern wrestling with longer matches and everyone's trying to have a quote-unquote five-star match, mm. it's almost refreshing to see the opposite. Like, ah, oh, seven minutes, they just did a few moves and took it home and the crowd chanted <laughs> for it all. It's kind of fun. Also, Luna, the way she gets impact when the Vader bomb hits, it's like she was double-jumped on a trampoline. Like, you've yes. got to go and find it. It is one of those things where there's no way you could plan to land the way she did, but it was awesome. Also, yeah. I, I want to point out a sign in the crowd, <laughs> yep. two signs during this match. 
One of them, and it's such a 1998 thing, Stone Cold is about it, which I thought was very funny because <laughs> Stone Cold is about it, but is he rowdy rowdy as Conan was? I thought, why did that guy bring that That's sign? That's so good. <laughs> and then another one, and it's look, it's obviously offensive and politically incorrect and very stupid, but it just shows that we're in 1998. There's a sign that says Ted Turner is gay. Why would you bring that sign? Mm. Why would you write that? It's so stupid, but it's so 1998 that that a guy was like an adult too was like, I'm going to write the sign and take it to a wrestling event. So stupid. Yeah. And this is very commonplace. And like I said, it's just a sign of the times. I remember like there'd be at WCW shows, be a giant sign that says like Goldberg blows. And it's just, (laughs) that's literally it. Yeah. That, that's, but, the, that's the sign. Someone's Ted, gone to the effort to... Ted Turner's been dragged into this. He really couldn't care. Like, imagine someone was like, hey, Ted, have you seen this sign at this wrestling show? You're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's really, like, a, a time capsule in, in that sort of era. But uh, we get to our next little segment, which is Michael Cole. Uh, Michael Cole tries to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin, who arrives in a pickup truck. Now, the pickup truck will play a minor role later on in the pay-per-view, but... Um, the, the whole premise of the pay-per-view is that Stone Cold is a marked man. He's a marked man. Everyone's after him, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. So much so that the, the Godwins, after Austin dismisses Michael Cole, try to come after him. Yeah, it's a great little segment. Michael Cole being new to the, the Fed and not knowing how to you know approach the wrestlers because he's scared of him. He calls Austin Mr. Austin, which is so <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, so this was a great build for a Royal Rumble. Austin was the favorite, but they built it into the the logic, I guess, that, hold on, he runs around stunning literally everyone. They're all going to target him. And that is Mm. the story. Everyone is after Austin before the Rumble to try and take him out. And they do a few segments through the pay-per-view, which is fun. We're starting to see that more where there's actual segments in the pay-per-views. And yeah, really good. Austin was on absolute fire here. Yeah, he's really, really reaching his apex. And um, we get to our next segment now. Throughout this, <laughs> throughout, throughout doing the show, Simon's had a theory that anytime you see Sonny come out to a pay-per-view to do like, you know, ring announce or special guest referee or just anything, it generally means that what's coming up next is going to be super poor. And my, oh my, the minute I saw Sonny, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what have we got next? It is the minis. The little minis are back. Battalion, El Torito and Tarantula versus Max Mini, Mosaic and Nova. And all I can say is this is a crowd killer. <laughs> I know. This is such a hot crowd. The first 20 minutes with, you know, the intro and the first match, they are wild. San Jose is going off. The minis come out and they take the wind out of their sails. And again, you're right. Sunny's out, bad match, as is tradition. I thought the same thing. Poor Sunny. <laughs> she was sent out so many times. Like, we know they love you. Can you go out and try and save this absolute piece of crap segment? <laughs> what can we even say about this? It's a six-man minis match. Whatever. They do some good lucha things. That's basically the only <laughs> note I've got. Well, one thing that we, we I neglected to mention is Mike Tyson is here at the show, <laughs> yeah. and he's in the corporate box, and he seems to love the minis. To be fair, you're right. They cut to Mike Tyson, and I, I rewound it because I was like, mm, have they just put that in post, or was he really watching? It was during the minis match. <laughs> Mike Ty- Maybe that was part of Mike Tyson's uh, negotiations. He's like, yeah, I love, I love wrestling. And they were like, okay, <laughs> cool. What do you need? He's like, I want $10 million. And I want the little yeah. people back. And they were like, we'll sign six of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we, oh, yeah, Mike, we always have minis on every <laughs> pay-per-view. That's why we're seeing them a few months in a row. And that, that's, what's, into it. that's what's brilliant about it. Like, he's just seen Canadian Stampede and really <laughs> love that aspect of it and gone, yeah, yeah, I'll have more of that, thanks. Yeah. Or, or like, if, if, if anyone's ever played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on, Super, on, uh, on Nintendo Entertainment System, notice how he... He's the final boss in that video game, and he towers over everyone else. <laughs> Maybe that's why he likes it. He's just like, yeah, get that real punch out vibe. But, um, <laughs> that was his dream, yeah. <laughs> but um, one thing that I do have to mention is even the flippy moves and the real high, like the high spots, it just kind of get like a, ah, from the crowd. <laughs> yeah, they're not into this. And all I could say is, too, at the end of it, Sonny looks so happy that that match is over. <laughs> 
Yeah, she she must have hated this so much. Being sent out just in these death spots, nothing ever gets over that she's involved with except her because she's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, even the final spot, she helps Max Mini do a couple of moves, but who yeah. cares? King Six. makes some short jokes. Yeah. None of them are worth noting except one that JR makes when um, he says... Oh, you know, Max Mini and Sonny, they seem to get along. They might be an item as Sonny is known to like short guys. A reference to Chris Candido there. So that was kind of funny. But anyway. Yeah, Jay are using actual wit. I've actually written that down too. Sonny looks happy that it's over. A couple of short jokes to finish. Yeah. Um, we will get to our next segment, which is the Nation of Domination. They're looking for Stone Cold Steve Austin, but uh, they get into the locker room, just find a foam finger, which karma tries to rip, but does so unsuccessfully. (laughs) Well, he should have given it to Mark Henry, who's uh, the newest member of the nation now. So we're Mm. close to getting what is honestly the best version of the nation, and that's the version without Farouk. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, We then get to another one of Mike Tyson in the box with Vince. It's just, it's a little fluff piece. They're just sort of like shooting the breeze. That's about it, really. Um, And then it's a video package. Actually, just as a quick side note, too, because you've been in a skybox watching wrestling, it's not actually a great experience, is it? No, I've done it. I've been, no, no, look, I've been very fortunate enough to do it three times. Mm. And I can honestly say, that the couple of times where I was allowed to leave and go sit in a better seat was way better. (laughs) Like, you know, you can't see anything up there. But anyway, (laughs) hey, you know what? Mike Tyson, he was loving it. So also- This is true. We're seeing Shane McMahon hang out with Tyson and he even has a nameplate. It says Shane McMahon and his reference. Is this the first time they're really acknowledging Shane McMahon? Feels like it is. I think so. I'm pretty sure it is because- Shane did some commentary on Sunday Night Heat, but that's not till late into 1998, like towards yeah. Survivor Series way. But yeah, so I think you're right there. They're just sort of gradually easing into the water here. Mm. Um, th- th- then we presented with a video package showing Ken Shamrock running through the nation, which leads to Mark Henry joining the nation. And you forget, well, actually, you don't forget at all because like anyone that you tell that didn't grow up during that era of wrestling, just how over Ken Shamrock is, they look at you in disbelief. But, man, he was one of the hottest dudes back in the day. Ken Shamrock was... He's one of those great WWE... Like, I was thinking about it watching the show because this was a great example of it all coming together. But WWE's two biggest boom periods, here and the golden era with Hogan, part of it that stands out is how solid the mid-cards were, where there were, there were guys who never won the world title and it didn't matter. We look mm. back at them as megastars and Ken Shamrock was one of them. For the Attitude Era, everyone who grew up watching it at this time will tell you, oh, yeah, he was awesome. Like, Mm. yeah. And even though they do say, you know, obviously don't try this at home, I guarantee you there is not a man, woman, or child that didn't try an ankle lock on uh, a friend or family member at some point in time during this (laughs) era. Because it was doable. They shouldn't have made it so simple. We're like, oh, does that really hurt? Let me try. (laughs) Yes, it does hurt. Honestly, it hurts a lot. Yeah. A generation of kids were, ta- were learning how to tap out long before the UFC, <laughs> yeah. but, thanks to Ken Shamrock. But uh, The Rock then cuts a promo, and Eddie's hell of a topical caps- time capsule promo there. He's got a few lines about Bill Clinton, but talk about this Rock compared to what we see, what we've seen at the start of his run in the WWF, and he is leaps and bounds. I'd, I'd say we always like to talk about how how far along DDP is to being, you know the full form of DDP and how, if you would go by percentage with the rock, I'd say he was probably about 70% there. Ooh, I was going to say more. There's just a couple of things missing. He doesn't have the, um, the point on the, uh, sideburns Sideburns? yet. They just go straight down. He doesn't have them pointed yet. He doesn't have the Brahma bull on his tights yet either. Mm. Because I think main event rock has a Brahma bull on the back. Yeah. This version just says the rock, which yeah, this, get this is we've we've brought this up. This is his WWF Warzone yeah. attire, rock. which is great. Some nostalgia, but it's not there. Also, mm. you know, he doesn't do the people's elbow properly. Like he doesn't take the the elbow pad off. He doesn't have the catchphrases. You know what? Maybe you're right. There is a lot to the rock, but he's so good here already. You could 
if he never progressed past this point, you would still put him in the main event soon. Like he's that 100%. good. Yep. So yeah, he's like he's just excelled incredibly. Uh, which and we can sort of say that because like we've watched a lot of Bart Gunn and Billy Gunn matches and Billy Gunn repackages, and it took him a long time to get to badass Billy Gunn. So kudos to the Rock there. Um, we'll get to the match because it's the Rock versus Ken Shamrock for the Intercontinental Championship. The Rock is the champion. There is some Rocky sucks charts, uh, Rocky sucks chance to start off the match and the rock berates the crowd. And the thing that I absolutely love is JR really is still hamming on about the rock's third generation. Um, It's almost like he's like, he doesn't want to let go of that part. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's really hurt JR that this guy, the blue chipper has become this real asshole, but the rock is great here. The fact that he just grabbed the mic and sort of winged a short promo. That's how good he was. And, He's calling himself the people's champion here. He's referring himself in the third person. So we're so close. It's all there. He doesn't mm. have his own version of the nation music yet, which would come no. later. So yeah. it, it's actually fun. If you progressively go through and if you, if you're a uh, friend of the show, Mikey J, um, who is a big WWF music aficionado, actually pointed out that if you put all the rocks themes from his first one to the his current one there it's actually just an evolving uh it's it's the nation theme that just evolves a little bit but um this is a pretty back and forth match and the thing i love about it too they don't shy away from ken shamrock's ufc sort of things because jr mentions you know this is a long way from the octagon and something else that i noticed jr starts throwing in a couple of subtle digs at wcw as well he mentions this is not the seniors hour. We're seeing young athletes in their prime, which sort of really showed how much the WWF, like, you know, like, all right, as we've said, they really want to emphasize how quote unquote old WCW is. Yeah. It's funny because they obviously did the, um, you know, billionaire Ted skits and all of that stuff. But then I think when WCW was kicking their ass, they sort of eased up on that a little bit because it was like oh no this isn't good but by this point they're confident enough to say no this is clearly the better show like Mm. you can't touch this roster anymore and yeah jr is like full cheerleader and i think this match is a great example of it well it doesn't matter where ken shemrock went in his career he's kind of at the peak here the rock is you know gonna become a star and you can already tell what a great intercontinental title match this is what they should be you know, when we think intercontinental title, it's two guys who are just a step under the main event, and this is it. Mm. Super over. The pop Ken Shamrock got was gigantic. He's kind of, you know, billed from California, and that's where they were, but they loved him here. It helps, too, that he actually took the time to learn how to wrestle. I still reckon, like, he's busting out Hurricane Runners, which kind of look a little bit sloppy, but he still managed to get him done. But his belly-to-belly suplex is just picture-perfect. It's so good. Mm. But um, let's quickly talk about the finish to this match because he gets the win. The crowd goes wild, but he there's a bit of nation interference here and uh, some brass knuckles get involved. And it's one of the most creative endings I've ever seen. Yeah, I love it. So the nation runs in to distract Shamrock. The Rock pulls out brass knucks, knocks out Ken Shamrock. But when he does it, he puts the knucks in Shamrock's tights. So anyway, Shamrock then gets up, hits the Rock with a belly to belly and pins him. And you think, oh my God, Shamrock won the IC title. The crowd goes crazy. But it was a plan by the Rock all along because he tells the ref, check his tights, check his tights. The ref you know, after Shamrock celebrated, says, what's in your pants? And he pulls out the knucks and Shamrock's confused. The ref reverses the decision. The Rock retains his title and Ken Shamrock, you know, Loses what we're, we're all waiting for. He snaps, he gets into the zone, beats up poor Mike Yoda, and the crowd loves it again. Anytime Shamrock does this, it's awesome. Yeah, the ticking time bomb, Ken Shamrock, is such an awesome character. Yep. Uh, going from one extreme to another, something that is... We've still got some little hangovers of the horribleness of 1997 because Los Barricas are up next. They're looking for Stone Cold Steve Austin and they end up taking out either Skull or 8-Ball. I can't remember what, which one it was. I don't think that they... they they don't make it clear who it was, nor do I think J.R. King care who it was. I thought because it was 
It was pretty funny, though, because, yeah, it was a bald guy in a leather vest. And I kind of like that they thought it was Austin. And then they started brawling with uh, the DOA. So one, yeah, one more time we had to sit through the Bariquas. Unfortunately. Um, next up, it's an LOD video package, which shows just how much of a legendary tag team there. And I thought this was pretty cool. Yep. And it's so weird to like in this setting when you see the old footage and by old footage, it's not even that old. It's like 1992 uh, footage of LOD, but it's just like they've made the product look so different in 1998 mm-hmm. that it looks like a completely different era. So they build up LOD as this legendary tag team and then New Age Outlaws who are just on a hot run at the moment. They've really reached their peak. And finally, Billy Gunn has found something that clicks and works. But um, the New Age Outlaws disrespecting the LOD, I think it's a little, a little bit underrated that um, this is the sort of feud that built the Outlaws. This is the first thing I really remember when I think of the New Age Outlaws. This is kind of the first time they stood out to me as a kid, seeing them team up with DX as well. They weren't a part of DX here, but they were like loosely affiliated with them. And, mm. you know, Sean and Triple H were sort of giving them the... um the nod of approval over the next few months because that was the plan. They were going to join DX and, you know, it's one of those things you kind of wish, oh, what if Shawn Michaels stuck with them through that era? It would have been really cool because they make such a good team when you just see them there. But anyway, great video. The Outlaws are finally clicking. Both these guys have gone through garbage gimmicks. They've clicked. (laughs) And honestly, the LOD, they're another one along with Vader. I think when they first showed up, during this podcast, we thought, oh, yeah, LOD, we're probably going to see the last big thing from them soon. But you know what? Up here till early 98, the crowd still loved them. And this was a great use of them to put the New Age Outlaws over. JR even sort of meant, oh, well, we got to mention quickly too. This also demonstrates the huge contrast in promos. When Road Dog comes out with some cheap heat. Now, they're both wearing, um, I think it's Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Any NFL fans out there? Sorry, but we quite don't get the reference of why this is meant to get heat, but it's like local sports team that you hate. Ooh. But but um, Road Dog does a fantastic promo. Meanwhile, the uh, the Legion of Dooms are still stuck in that, you know, Hulk Hogan before WrestleMania 6 kind of promo school, and it really, really shows. But something I did really like was JR mentions that LOD – were AWA champs, they were NWA champs, and they were WWF champs. So he really adds to the fact that these guys are a big deal or were a big deal. And yeah, it's it's just a it's a great brawl. And man, I oh man, I tell you, I, I really if, if there's ever an indie show that these teams met up in again, I bet you there was some stiff receipts handed out by the LOD. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what was going on here, but there was some real like, oh, okay, so you guys are the next big tag team, are you? And they really, really laid it in. At one point, Road Dog starts bleeding from the mouth, and mm. yeah, it was kind of fun. It's not the best match. It's honestly not. We've seen LOD have better matches. I don't think as actual wrestlers as a team, I don't think the New Age Outlaws started clicking till a little bit later on. This is all character so far, um, yeah. but it was still... A great angle, I suppose, because at one point Hawk gets uh, handcuffed, handcuffed on the outside, yeah. and then the story becomes: Can he break free? And what can Animal do on his own? Yeah, it shows, and this is what's so cool about it, and it's something that's really missing in wrestling nowadays. So, as you mentioned, Hawk is handcuffed to the bottom row. Meanwhile, Animal is still holding his own, and Jr. and King even sort of mentioned, like, wouldn't it be cool if? Well, they don't say wouldn't it be cool, but they they paint the picture that like Animal could win the tag team titles on his own without the help. That's how well he's doing. But eventually the numbers game catches up and he almost does get a pinfall on Billy Gunn before Road Dog comes in with a chair and causes a DQ to make the outlaws retain their titles. Now, this is what's so cool. Then they really go to town on Animal. Like they start beating him up uh, and focusing on his back, which they're really emphasizing that like, Animal's got a bad back. Animal's got a bad back, blah, 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 blah. You know, he shouldn't be wrestling. He's not cleared. And Hawk is just trapped to the bottom turnbuckle. 
But this is a great way to get the heat back. He literally rips the handcuff off and gets in the ring. Also does one of the safest and most dangerous chair shots I've ever seen to Road Dog, where he kind of gingerly waits to get him in position and then smacks him in the head. <laughs> yeah. It is weird because he didn't have a lot of swinging distance. That's what it was. No. So he's kind of awkwardly holding the chair kind of above his own head. And then he like mm. digs him on the head, like when he's real close. <laughs> yeah. So- yeah. Look, it's not the best match, but it was kind of fun as a storyline. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to like, you're not going to be putting this down as a classic, but you are, you're sitting there compelled. You're like sitting there going, oh man, like you hate the outlaws. You actually side with Legion of Doom. In oh, here. They're terrible people. They shaved off one of Hawk's mohawks. They mm. power bombed animal through a table and then they ran away here. Like they really made you think the uh, new age outlaws are absolute scumbags. And that was their mm. character. They weren't these fun loving good guys till a little bit later on yeah yeah and yeah that was pretty cool about it but um yeah so as i said um the outlaws get the dq sorry um led wins via dq but the outlaws retain uh we get to our next little bit of filler material here where the winner of stone cold's pickup truck is announced and it's mildred bowers Mm -hmm. thankfully They've probably learnt from the previous times when they've had these giveaways and they don't ring her. It's just, <laughs> congratulations, Mildred, you're done. Yeah, yeah. They just said, oh, we think she's watching. There you go. I hope she drove it around. What an amazing prize to win, a stone-cold <laughs> pickup truck. Well, it, it's it's just fascinating that they were doing stuff like that back in the day. Um, we then get to, uh, which so we're minutes away from the Royal Rumble. There's a video package of Austin stunning basically the entire roster. I'm talking guys from from everyone from Los Bariquas to Vader to Mankind to Triple H to everyone. He's just, it's just stunning. Stun is a go-go. That's what it is. And um, which kind of shows that he's a masked man. Masked man, sorry. A marked man. And then we get back to Tyson in the box. He's with Shane. And we're all set for the Royal Rumble. Now, the intervals here are two minutes. Howard Finkel does the explanation and I don't know how we're going to tackle this one, Simon, because there is a lot going on here. Mm. I think we'll just simply start off with like, so it starts off with Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie at one and two. And it's basically a little bit of a hardcore brawl at the start. And I I want to talk about this because what was interesting, I watched this pay-per-view when I was a kid, I said I had it on video, but the video was a taped version from Fox Sports. So Fox Sports used to show the pay-per-views in Australia kind of just for free. It was just on the sports yeah. channel, but they were edited versions. And my video, I'm, I've still got it somewhere. Um, during the Royal Rumble, you see the entrances, but then it cuts out and it comes back and it says, due to the violent nature, this match has been edited from its uh, original format. And I had just never bothered renting it from the video store or watching it on the network. I have never seen the first few (laughs) minutes of this rumble. Like, I know they pull out weapons because my video version jumped to later on where there's still a few chairs hanging around. I got to say, watching it back, I never, like, I always thought this Royal Rumble match was okay. But now getting the extra part that I had never seen, it Mm -hmm. bumps up a little bit. This was pretty entertaining, all the hardcore stuff that Cactus and Chainsaw Charlie did. For those playing at home that might not have seen it or might have only seen the edited version that was on Fox Sports and Channel 10. Yep. So I too had I had a, a tape version of off Channel 10. Because oh, okay. um, remember Channel 10, we do it on Sunday nights, the occasional 8.30 spot. But, um, but yeah, so Chainsaw Charlie, Terry Funk, comes out with a chainsaw, like an actual chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And he's waving it around like, like OHS in 2022 would never go for that now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's chair shot city at the start. Cactus Jack gives Chainsaw Charlie one of the hardest chair shots I've ever seen. It looked disgusting. And then I thought, mm. what? A, why would they do that? Then Terry Funk gives Cactus Jack an even harder one. Like it was not pretty. It was entertaining, yeah. but really, <laughs> really wouldn't fly in 2022. To the point where JR even mentions dueling banjos. <laughs> like that's it's so it it's it's vicious. It is absolute violence. Um then number three, who is number three? The number three entry, because I've written down number three, no idea. It Kenny was just gets 
Tom Brandy, who had a very short run as like Salvatore Sincere. He was a mob character, but the mob character failed so badly. They were like, you're just going to be yourself now. But then himself was so boring that it didn't work either. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally to quote Jay-Z, grand opening, grand closing. He comes <laughs> yeah. out, he gets thrown over the top, and then we're back to just Cactus and Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, an interesting one to mention, coming in at number four is The Rock. And um, he gets double teamed by Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, number five out in the Rumble is Mosh from the Headbangers. Mm-hmm. And six is Phineas Good, uh, Phineas Godwin. That's right. The Godwins are still there. An interesting line from JR, which I had to note. Living proof of what happens when first cousins marry. Yep, I got that one too. That was a great <laughs> line there. Um, it's definitely <laughs> the Attitude Era when you can say things like that. And then very quickly, eight ball comes out as number seven. Now, Howard Finkel at the start said we had two minutes between superstars guaranteed between Phineas and April. It was not two minutes. Someone was like, we cannot do two minutes with these guys. Let's hurry it up. Yeah. You feel that like maybe the cactus and chainsaw show at the start, uh, which I also mentioned cactus um, chainsaw. Charlie is Terry Funk. Yeah. Yeah. He's constantly mentioned that. (laughs) And they don't even care. They're like, yeah, Cactus Jack is Mick Foley and Chainsaw Charlie is Terry Funk. Like, yeah. uh, number eight is Bradshaw. Number nine is Owen Hart, who gets taken out by Jeff Jarrett and Jim Cornette. Jeff Jarrett is NWA North American champ because this is the time where the NWA had a faction within the WWF. A yeah, strange time. Doomed to fail idea there, which Jim Cornette claims wasn't his idea. It was something Vince Russo said. Oh, you know, oh, you love this old school stuff so much. Why don't we make an NWA faction? Honestly, it seeing Jeff Jarrett and Jim Cornette out here, it's almost like, man, that could have been really cool if it was just them two. Who mm. is a more hateable duo in the 90s than those two? <laughs> like, it would have been heat central with those two. It would have been great. It really would have, actually. And it's funny, too. If you've listened to Jeff Jarrett's podcast, he basically puts down the NWA and the WWF as... Vince giving Jim Cornette enough rope to hang himself. <laughs> yeah, and and on and I think Cornette, after doing that, was like, "I'm out. I'll just do developmental. I'm not being on camera anymore. Like, <laughs> screw this. Like, and how do you do that to some, you know, some of the talent that was there? But anyway, I got to say, Owen Hart got a huge reaction too when he came out. Yeah, yeah, a massive pop, and he's still incredibly over, despite what happened just two months ago at the screw job. Uh, Steve Blackman comes out at number 10. Number 11 is D'Lo Brown. Now, in an interesting turn of events, The Rock and D'Lo Brown actually have a, uh, a little bit of fisticuffs there, which is something that's pretty consistent throughout the Rumble. Yeah, they kind of... T- when when D'Lo first started beating up The Rock, I thought, did D'Lo forget what, you know, who his friends are, like, on the show? Yeah. But anyway, it became a thing. D'Lo was brawling with all members of the nation, and they kind of we're just like, oh, D'Lo really wants to win. It's kind of weird, yeah. but anyway. Yeah, it is. It's strange. But it does also, at, at the same time, it also emphasizes because that's how they sort of spin it. It's like, well, every man for themselves, it is the Royal Rumble. And also, um, JR was really putting D'Lo Brown over. He called him, you know, the young prodigy of the nation and put, put over how great of an athlete he is and everything like that. D'Lo is another one of those great mid-carders from the Attitude Era that we look back at fondly. Yep. So if you're listening to this, Owen, no, Simon and I aren't delusional. D'Lo was great. JR called him a young prodigy. There you go. (laughs) And still is great, I should point out, on TNA commentary. Um, At number 12, it's Kurgan. And Kurgan and EC3 look more and more alike the more (laughs) I see Kurgan. (laughs) Yeah. He's a very, very tall EC3. Um, He's basically Carly that can work a little. Yeah, that's a, a nice way of putting it. Look, at least he went on to a good movie career. So good for Kogan. Yeah. Uh, at number 13, it is Marvelous Mark Mero with Sable. At number 14, Ken Shamrock comes out. 15 is Thrasher. D'Lo and The Rock are still going at it too, I should point out. Just yeah. made note of that. Oh, great, comes- great moment for Ken Shamrock, though. I do want to say when he comes out, the crowd loves him. He goes to beat up everyone. He starts kicking Kurgan. He hits him with like a jump spinning kick. Then everyone joins him to take out Kurgan to a massive ovation. Like it was one of those great Royal Rumble entries where it's all action. 
Yeah, because uh, I, I neglected to point out as I was comparing Kurgan to EC3. Um, Kurgan is, you know, doing the giant sort of thing where he's just taking people out left front. And how can they stop this big dude? Ken Shamrock comes out and does that old chop the th- uh, chop the tree kind of thing where he just gives him kicks and essentially like kickstarts the um the elimination. So yeah, that's a really good point there. Then we get to the fun part. Number 16, it's mankind. And the confusion from JR and King is just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, this was great. So uh, Cactus Jack was eliminated earlier and, you know, they were like, oh, no, that's all for Mick Foley, blah, blah, blah. But then he comes back as mankind and we can look back at it and be like, oh, you know, he came out as the three faces. Really cool. At the time, it was mind-blowing. Like, don't it was, it was huge. do that. It was great. <laughs> Uh, this is the nearest that you get to playing WCW and WWE event, picking four Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really um, cool. A, a nice little touch too. I love that the first thing Mankind does is eliminate Terry Funk, and then go straight after the Rock. Pretty cool there, I thought. Yeah. At number seventeen, it is Goldust. Number eighteen is Jeff Jarrett representing the NWA, and Owen comes out and just absolutely. Goes mental straight for uh, Double J. There is a huge pop for Owen when he eliminates Jeff Jarrett. Oh, At number a, 19. Amazing. I want to talk about this spot too. Like, this was one of the, the highlighted spots of the match too. So, Jeff Jarrett and Owen brawl. The crowd's going crazy. Jarrett goes to throw Owen over. He thinks he's thrown him over. So, he turns around, starts doing the strut, but behind him, and it's shot perfectly. Uh, you see Owen skin the cat, run up mm. behind Jarrett and throw him out to the opposite side of the ring. It is perfectly done. Both guys, you know, had amazing uh, chemistry and the crowd loses it. There are just certain things like that where the WWE trumps WCW. They knew it was going to happen. They made everyone clear out. They shot mm-hmm. it perfectly. It's like, this is what you're meant to be watching right now. It's just, yeah, perfect. I always love it because anytime it's also, it's almost sort of conditioned people to like when you see a little bit of brawling going on in the corners, and yeah. but then there's like a center stage. It's like it, it is so well done. And when you think about how many men are in the ring at the time to coordinate that, it is, blows your mind a little bit. Uh, number 19, it's Honky Tonk Man. And Triple H comes out with China. Now, Triple H is not in the Rumble, but he comes out with the specific purpose of taking out Owen Hart. Mm. And at this point in time, as I'm watching this, I'm just like, was all this just a huge rib against Brett? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, look, credit to Owen for still be being willing to work with DX. Mm-hmm. He was professional and, you know, from all accounts, they still all got along. Yeah. Owen, from, you know, kind of the bits and pieces you hear, he was professional. And he was like, well, this is just work. Mm. That stuff to yeah. do with Brett isn't my business. I've heard that too because a lot of people, especially with the anniversary of his passing um, last year that came up, um, there, there's been a lot like, you know, why didn't he leave with Brett? But by all intents and purposes, you're right. He just sort of said like, look, wrestling's a job. I go to work and this is how I feed my family. <laughs> I think we've made note of that, that the difference between Brett and Owen is that Brett took this way too seriously and <laughs> Owen seemingly didn't to him. Yeah. It was just a job that obviously he was so good at, but he didn't care enough to, you know, he's not going to, you know, move and change jobs and do all yeah. this because of it. Yeah. It's just like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, so at number 20, Ahmed Johnson comes out. Now at this point in time, I forgot Ahmed Johnson was still with the company. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Honestly, JR was not a fan of Ahmed on commentary. It was like, oh, he's had some bad run with injuries. And then he's like, oh, I guess he's going to be the only man to compete in the Rumble wearing earrings. And it's like, okay, <laughs> he's a face here. You know, he's not gold dust. You don't have to point out his earrings. But Oh, this is just so good there. Uh, at number 21, Mark Henry comes out. 22, this is an interesting one. So 22 is nobody. Um, it's meant to, it's, King alludes that it's meant to be Stone Cold Steve Austin because throughout the Royal Rumble, he sort of drops hints that I've got word that Austin's been taken out backstage. So 22 is no one. So you think that, okay, this is meant to be Austin's spot. That's a shame he's done. Uh, quick thought on that one, Simon. Do you know who 22 is meant to be or is this just a story device? I think it was a story device. They might explain it on Raw. Maybe mm-hmm. there's reference as to who Austin 
beat up and took their spot? Because if 22 was meant to be Austin's spot, whose spot did he then take? Then take out. Might yeah. be one of those. Although I, I do want to point out it was in this um this little section here. Mark Henry is beating up Ahmed Johnson. And I'm convinced JR said this on purpose. He must say things like this on purpose. He said, Mark is handling the big Johnson. That was the only <laughs> line. That's all he said. Just like that time where he said, leader, jerking edge off the ladder. It was like, ladder, you're, yeah. doing, you're doing this on purpose. Come on, JR. He, no just, he must nudge King and be like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I get to do one. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're right, though. When he does actually throw in a Snyder Marley, that, it's, always a, it's always a home run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, so here we go. Um, D'Lo is still going rogue on the nation now that he's got a couple more members in there. He just doesn't care. Yeah. At, no- at number 23, out comes Karma. Uh, which is great because JR's like the biggest member of the nation, then sort of remembers. Oh, wait, Mark Henry's in there. Yeah, yeah, or at yeah. least was. Yeah, at least was. <laughs> and at number 24, it is Stone Cold Steve Austin. The music hits, the crowd goes ballistic. Mm-hmm. This was Very cool. a, mm-hmm. a mega pop. And again, this show had a story to it for the Royal Rumble match because they've established Austin is a marked man. Everyone wants to take him out. Every wrestler stops and watches the entrance because Mm. they all want to get Austin. And, of course, classic Austin. He comes from the back, jumps in the ring, and the first guy he takes out is Mark Merrow. (laughs) Just chucks him over the ropes, which is great because it really is funny to look back. We started at King of the Ring 96. Those two guys were in the finals, and what a change in fortune both guys have had from that night and to here. You know, you might have still thought, ah, Mark Merrow will be the star. No. Nope. Uh, what are you talking about? He's the wild man. He's the wild man. <laughs> He's a great uh, man and he has a pleasant wife and all those things Vince <laughs> would say about him. Um, at number 24 is Henry Godwin. And something that uh, that I made note of, 38 minutes seems to be a big sort of, dr- like, I don't know, milestone because King brings up that The Rock has been in the ring for more than 38 minutes. JR then mentions Bradshaw has been in the ring for more than 38 minutes. What is with the 38 minutes? Who cares? I don't know. That's a weird, yeah, yeah. Is that like the Royal, that maybe that was the Royal Rumble um, record at some Possibly. point. I don't know. But The yeah. Rock, though, to come out at number four, he is putting in a hell of an effort here. Very much so. At number 25, out comes Savio Vega. And boy, oh boy, he brings the Los Bariquas with him. And they all go after Austin, which is kind of cool. And he beats them all up, which is even yep. better. Like, yeah. <laughs> They're done being a threat at this point. Oh, well, I've, I've put down, it's like watching uh, one of the Power Rangers dismiss putties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's all they were to him. <laughs> um, number 26 is Farouk. And th- the best part is Farouk comes out and basically is like an angry dad with all the members of the nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Break it up. And he starts beating him up like when you're play wrestling and then your dad walks in and yeah makes like, you enough stop. of that kids <laughs> this that. is this this will end now or i will end <laughs> you is basically yeah. what happens uh so the rock and austin are brawling on the outside as well which is a nice little uh sign of things to come at number 28 out comes dude love and at this point in time jr and king have just bought into the uh, well i guess he's punched his his meal card three times tonight yep and dude love though super over it's fun to see him in it again uh, it's interesting to see who's kind of, you know, in the mix at the end. Vader comes out, though, at number 30, and he gets another huge pop. Mm. Like, Vader almost felt like the crowd almost thought Vader had a chance here, I thought. Very much so. I also find it amusing that you completely forgot about Chains coming out at 29. Oh, was, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I really want the DOA to just leave. They're so close to being done. It's only a few more months. You can, yeah, the Barikas have just been turned into cannon fodder for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sorry, Skull and Eight Ball. You're going to be following. You're going to be following Crush out the door yep. very shortly. But uh, we get to the. Let's get to the final four because it's Dude Love, Farouk, Stone Cold, and Austin. All I got to say is you for, you forget how much of a big player Farouk was back in um back in ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight. They really, like, really tried with him, didn't they? Yeah, they really did, did they? Like, remember, he's main evented a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then once they kick him out of the nation, he does kind of nothing for a couple of years until him and Bradshaw get going. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, 
it's weird how like you know it, it's it's he put it this way he fast tracks his finding his Billy Gunners because at least Billy Gunn took years yeah. to find his sort of niche whereas at least Farouk's like gladiator no that didn't work super supreme fighter guy now that doesn't work black supremacist yeah that's it that's it now 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 gonna have to steer at it because there's a better guy in the group oh well i'll just drink beers with a f- another failed tag team <laughs> and it works that's all you got to do get the two worst guys and put them together and see what happens but the other three guys though rock austin and mick foley they are mm. really the three guys who kind of you know take the company to a whole new level and here they are at the end all really really putting it together and we've basically got it that is the new main event scene yeah and yeah because you, you're absolutely spot on because pretty much just over a year later oh well in 1999 all three of them become champions and well, the, the 99 rumble the world title match is dude is sorry mankind versus the rock mm, yeah in that Ballistic match, which we'll get to uh, when we get to it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> th- this is also the the first time I think JR has fully gone on the limiter with Stone Cold, Stone Cold, <laughs> <Yeah>. Stone Cold, <laughs> after yeah. Stone Cold wins, who eliminates The Rock finally too. So another sign of things to come. Oh, man, between their chemistry that we saw at Degeneration X and that amazing short energetic match they had, and then just a, maybe two minutes at the ending here, Rock and Austin is just magic it's not even mm. nostalgia or saying oh they always tell us it's a good match just seeing them together it's brilliant yeah it, it's not hyperbole this is damn good but um we then get um <laughs> when we're talking about signs i have to point out this is also where you see the i'd rather be in china sign oh <laughs> yeah that was yeah. like as they're showing stoke on winning that's like front and center of the camera <laughs> like and you're just like Oh, 1998. Yeah. <laughs> of course. That's it. And, and also, though, a uh, great moment. I was waiting for it because I was almost starting to doubt myself because I mentioned it in the last show that this was the first time we'd hear someone mispronounce Austin's nickname and call him Cold Stone. And I mm-hmm. credited, credited that to Mike Tyson. But no, I was correct. I remembered it right. You know, Michael Cole's up there. He's like, oh, Mike Tyson, you're really happy about this uh this outcome of the match, and it's like, Cold Stone is my man. So I'm glad I remembered it right. <laughs> and the best part, too, is you can see Michael Cole like, just, okay, so just, we'll, we'll just move on. We'll just completely <laughs> <Don't> correct <laughs> him. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, so he interviews up in the corporate box. But, yeah, this is basically like the coronation of Austin is here. He is marching on his way to WrestleMania. And the cool thing, which I really love throughout this entire thing, is they always say he will face the champion at WrestleMania. At WrestleMania 14, they don't say he'll face Shawn Michaels or The Undertaker. It's just like he will face whoever the champion is, which is kind of cool there. Mm. Speaking of the title picture, we get a fab video package to really hype Shawn Michaels versus um, The Undertaker and how he got here. And man, it's just, it's amazing how perfect their feud was. And then you add Kane to it and it just made it better. Yeah, it was really cool watching this video package. And we don't even have to say it, this video, the video packages on the show, because there's been a few of them, they leave WCW in the absolute dust. I know we were complimentary of the Starcade Sting Hogan video package and the production they did. It is still night and day. The videos hmm. they did on this show and this one uh, to, to end the show for the main event is brilliant. It ties in together, like you said, two separate feuds. The Undertaker and DX, but also The Undertaker and Kane. It is so good. We see highlights of Hell in a Cell. We see a great segment uh, from, you know, those early DX uh, months where DX claim that they've recruited Kane. The Undertaker comes out and says, no, you can, you know, you can't get involved Hmm. in my family. Then Kane comes out and you think, you know, Kane's going to, you know, maybe... uh, join dx but he actually helps the undertaker and they have like a bit of a reunion man untouchable so good it's it's also emphasized too but how fearful everyone is of kane like triple (laughs) h and 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 hbk make it seem like the grim reaper is literally walking the ring every time they see kane but one thing i do want to point out too during hbk's entrance like he's using the dx music so he's fully into dx smarmy heel mode here they mention how he's the first ever and only Grand Slam champion in the WWF. It means he's won all the titles. 
And then JR even goes to name check, not Hogan, not Savage, not anyone is on that page with Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I thought that was good too, because again, I think they're confident enough. None of this, oh, we won't talk about the competition. They know what they've got here by this point, and they were willing to say it. Shawn Michaels, you know, this isn't Hogan or Savage. This guy's on another level. And they could be sort of proud. This is our main event guy. Mm. Um, Also, you know, we always think DX in these days, we know they're the heels. They got a bit of a pop coming out too. Like it wasn't booze for DX. They did have that bit of swagger and a bit of attitude to them coming out, which kind of, uh, I didn't actually sort of, as I'm watching their entrance, because it's got the jump cuts and things like that, it does seem very NWO-ish. And I know it's very retconny of the WWF and WWE now to sort of put them on, yeah, DX and NWO, they were pretty much neck and neck. These kind of, like, I can see why they retell that narrative. Just like, yeah, it did feel a little bit New World Order, but cooler. It, well, well, that's kind of what it was, wasn't it? Because as kids, we both obviously grew up watching this. When NWO came out, we're all like, oh, this is so cool. We all want to be in the NWO. We all drew yeah. that on our books at school and did the two sweet. But then when DX came out, it was like, oh, this is even cooler. They're telling people this is to even suck co- it. And they got yeah. cool. Their music is even cooler than the NWOs. You know, yeah. their logo is even cooler than um, the NWO. And really, and it, they got hmm. less members. But if you go on percentage, they have cooler members because the NWO has, you know, Scott Norton and all these losers. Yes, yeah, exactly. And and the other thing too is they had a very easily, easily copied in a playground gesture. Like you couldn't do it too sweet to someone in the playground or to a teacher or something. No one gets oh, yeah. it. It's like, oh, yeah, what? Well, tell me to pick up my Mars bar wrapper. Why don't you suck it, <laughs> miss? You know, like, you oh, know? man, the amount of like in the, these years, because in 98, I was in, um, I was in uh, year five. In year five and six, the amount of crotch chops after like getting someone out in down ball or like getting a good shot in bat tennis or kicking a goal in soccer <laughs> and just, you know, an 11 year old telling someone to suck it. It was just amazing. Yeah. It's but at, this, but at that time because you were doing what DX was doing, that's just what was so that's phenomenal it. about it. What was great too? There's another line that stood out from JR, but it was it wasn't dirty or anything, but it just really, really was great to me. It popped me. Um, where because Triple H comes out uh, with with HBK and JR says Triple H is about as welcome as a phone call during Raw. I know. I thought that was a nice little <laughs> ad there. <laughs> but um, so it's Taker versus. This is um, Undertaker here. And this famously is the match where HBK injures his back. I was actually shocked at how quickly that happens. Yeah, it happens really early on. So the casket is the giant over-the-top Undertaker casket. It's on the apron of the ring where it normally is. Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker start off doing some of their, you know, back and forth spots. And again, we've said it before, their chemistry is just insane. Like how smooth everything is with them too. It's almost like a video game. Um, it's it is untouchable. Ahead of its time. It's so good. But really early on, Taker gives Sean a back body drop over the top rope. Sean is, you know, going to clear the casket. That's obviously what he was going for. But his lower back smacks the casket on the way down. And it yeah, just clips it. It's, it's minuscule. You, yeah. If you don't know, you wouldn't think it's that bad. Although the commentary team does make note of it. They say, oh, Sean Michael's hitting his lower back there. But that was it. That's kind of what pushed it over the line and took him out for four years. You couldn't tell though, because he just gets straight back into it. Like he's doing, he's jumping out of the casket. There's a cool spot with that. And my favorite part of this too. So he gets into the casket and basically the lid is all the way down bar, like his hands sticking out the top. And JR points out, Every part of you has to be in the casket and that lid has to be closed. It's very much that both feet have to touch the floor. And that's classic Shawn Michaels. You know, I didn't lose from a technicality. It was good. (laughs) They did so many um, spots here that not only have you never seen in a casket match before, but even for the two of them, these guys do moves with each other that they don't do with other people. Yeah. Like Undertaker yeah. is press slamming Shawn Michaels. He doesn't norm- normally press slam people. You know, Shawn Michaels does his pile driver on the steps. He kind of only does that to The Undertaker. Like, Undertaker it's weird. Yeah. But they do these things and it makes the match stand out. It doesn't feel like anything else. This feels like a main event. And if we're going the Starcade main event versus this, like WWE is on another level here now. 
they are in a completely different planet at the moment. They're not even the same postcode. Um, the other cool thing too is, uh, so Triple H adds some interference here as well. And blatant cheating from Triple H is one of my favorite tropes of this era. <laughs> yeah, he was the worst. He was a real scumbag. And now that he's left behind the Greenwich snob and he's just this sleazy guy who cheats, he's a really good flunky for Shawn Michaels. Like, he was really good. <laughs> Um, you know, he's using his, his crutch and China's cheating. And also another good bit of JR commentary here. Um, he mentions that Sean's beaten all the big guys. He says Sean's beaten Sid, he's beaten Diesel, but Diesel, the Undertaker yep. is on another level. So it was good. We, Everything which was then, good here. Which then King brings up, but he has beaten the Undertaker as well. Yeah, like, he has beaten him too. It's so well done. And I, I've written that bit down too. And a cool thing is, HBK puts Taker in the casket, but Taker reverses it by literally squirrel gripping Shawn Michaels. I wrote down that is an all-time casket match spot. Shawn Michaels <laughs> posing on top of the Undertaker, doing the crotch chop, and the Undertaker in classic Taker fashion, like when he would sit up and choke someone, choking Shawn's nuts. Just <laughs> so dumb, so amazing, and yeah, just it only works with these two characters perfect uh, it's it's so awesome both of them are in the casket and it is a hell of a choke slam from taker too then we get to the shenanigans part which is a staple of the outfit era but it fit it fit perfectly when the outlaws and the barricas come out and part of me there was a brief moment and we we're like surely there wasn't a moment in time that i've blanked where the barricas were part of dx <laughs> uh, <laughs> but thankfully no they just came out to do the which was was it the 94 Rumble where he had the casket match with Yokozuna and all the all the heels basically came out to beat him up? Yeah, and then he dies and he ascends up to yeah. heaven. Yeah, so this yeah. was a bit of a callback to that because Shawn Michaels has done his homework. The only way to beat The Undertaker in a casket match is to get a bunch of heels, which, you know what, they actually make reference to. At this point, The Undertaker was undefeated except for one casket match. Hmm. And it's so cool because, like... It sets up the entrance of Kane perfectly. The lights dim. We see the fire at the stage and Kane comes out. And you forget how much of a huge presence Kane was back in that in the red suit. Like you're so used to seeing him wear the black and just the red mask or just as corporate Kane that you forget how much of a monstrous figure the original Kane was. Yeah, it was huge. And the crowd was chanting for him. They expected him to come out and help The Undertaker based on their, you know, mini reunion on Raw. He gets a massive ovation here. And the only thing that's a slight disappointment, he gets in, clears the ring, goes face to face with The Undertaker, does the classic cane, you know, <laughs> arms up, arms down thing. And there's no and pyro. I feel like that both guys were good enough, though, that one of them must have said to the other, Forget it. Just start punching me. Like, don't stand there <laughs> awkwardly. It's not coming. Like, they must have... Taker must have said, just punch me. Just let's keep going. <laughs> just, yeah. just just keep going. Move on. Move on. Um, but yeah, so at the at this point in time, Kane puts Undertaker into the casket and in the best, and it's so Shawn Michaels as well. Then you remember, oh, that's right, it's a casket match, and Sean is the one to close the casket, and he wins the match. Yeah, from behind, and then DX just kind of drag him away. Like, that's how Sean was getting away with everything here, by the skin of his teeth, and then dragged out basically as a dead body. It was great. It was awesome. And then let's get to the post-match bit, because Kane and, um, Kane and Paul Bearer come out, and they lock Undertaker in the casket. Then they drag him up to the 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 the, the entranceway the, just at the foot of the entrance of the set and then Kane gets an axe and a can of gasoline and starts hacking into the casket then they set the casket on fire just for good measure and it is a hell of a fire it goes <laughs> out of control uh you know Bruce Pritchard has explained this in something to wrestle but the fire was bigger than they expected mm. and i don't think they you know it was a bit you know bit on the fence how they cleared it with the fire marshal but <laughs> anyway it is a hell of a way to end uh the pay-per-view there what a great visual and again it's that over the top attitude era like you had a great wrestling within the match but then the match ended with absolute over the top shenanigans with you know a casket set on fire 
Yeah. And it's just, it was just on brand for that era. And it was just so good. Like, you know, when you look at this pay-per-view from top to bottom, the bits that were bad were quick enough and inoffensive enough that you can just gloss over it. And the bits that were good were just so good that it completely eradicates the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think because of that, overall, this pay-per-view gets a big thumbs up. There were so many highlights. Thumbs up. Huge thumbs up here, which makes me... Uh, dread what we're going to be seeing when we cover um, sold out 1998. Uh, We're going to enlist Owen to jump on board that one, but let's go through it because there is a lot to take in here. If we go on MVP of the pay-per-view, who do you reckon it is? Because in my mind, it's a toss-up between Sean and Steve Austin, but I reckon it's Stone Cold just for the narrative is weaved around him. Yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'll give it to him on this one. Between the um, backstage segments and then the match, the Royal Rumble itself, and even just seeing how good he was in that video package hyping up the Royal Rumble, it's got to be Steve Austin here. Just Mm. a great performance. Uh, He's on another level here. Talking about another level, though, I I have to put Shawn Michaels. The reason I I really... Uh, it's it's a, it was a bit of a struggle for me is because this match by Sean delivers so much like he knows his role so perfectly, and it just it's it's like such a smooth match between him and the Undertaker. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's it's the Stone Cold show. This is basically the next couple of pay per views are the coronation of Stone Cold, and uh, No Way Out should be an absolute belter to watch. I can't wait for that one. But uh, yeah, coming up next, sold out 1998, and 98 is. An interesting year for W uh, for WCW for WWF. As we've seen, they they're launching the rocket. They they're counting down to blast off to WrestleMania and really put Austin on the moon and just absolutely go gangbusters from here. But WCW, yeah, this is where all of a sudden those cracks start becoming a little bit bigger. Yeah, I think we're going to have. It, it's funny though because we're seeing the momentum shift now, and it's going to be cool to see. WCW have to struggle and figure it out, whereas the WWE is going to go on a hot streak from the start of the year to the end of the year, 1998. It's just building and building for the WWE. Every time you think, okay, this is probably the pick. It's the Royal Rumble. It's WrestleMania. It's SummerSlam. No, it's Survivor Series. I'm really excited to see how everything just continuously gets uh, more over the top and better for the WWF. And what what a start. I'm glad this pay-per-view was as good as I remembered from, uh, mm. you know, when I was 11. Yeah, very, very much so. But yeah, look, uh, if you want to catch up on any of our other pay-per-views, all of 1997 uh, for both the WWF and WCW are available in the Grey Wolf Entertainment archives. Greywolfentertainment.net is the place to find it, but you can follow it on the socials, Grey Wolf ENT on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Greywolfentertainment.net is the website. If you want to check out, uh, just click on the Reliving the War drop-down menu. But yeah, Simon, this has been a fun way to kick off 1998. Thank heavens we started off with a WWE pay-per-view and not a WCW one, eh? I'm going to be dreading every second episode now. <laughs> there's, you know, there's got to be highlights from WCW. Can't be all downhill from here. Surely not. Fingers crossed. At least we get to drag Owen into this mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we'll be back with another edition of Reliving the War. Uh, so stay tuned. Keep your eye on Grey Wolf ENT on socials uh, to find out when our episode drops next. And we'll catch you then. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.